We're excited this morning. We get to welcome uh, Venus. Venus, if you'd come up, and she's uh, heading out to uh, Mexico in just uh, a month or so, and uh, we're supporting her as a, a new missionary, and so this morning we get to pray for her and, and lift her up. So, um, Venus, thanks for being here today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, tell us, how did God call you to this work that you're engaging with? Yeah, I feel like it kind of starts all the way to the beginning. I was actually born and lived in Venezuela for about five years until my family immigrated to the U.S. And um, in my family, no one knows the Lord personally. I didn't come to know the Lord personally until college where I realized that God was calling me to live a life for him. And the things that I was trying to find life in, Jesus died for. And I was trying to find satisfaction in them. But Jesus not only wanted to be the savior of my life, but he wanted to be the Lord too. And the only way I could find that abundant life that I was desperately trying to look for was through him. And through college, I was able to not just grow in my own personal relationship with God, but also help others grow. And realizing that the Great Commission is commanded to all of us, not to just the extra holy people. And um, I am really thankful because God like grew my heart for him and his people, but also for the nations, realizing that if I would have lived in Venezuela, I don't know if I would have heard the gospel. I don't know if I would have had an opportunity to respond to it. And God just grew my heart for the people around the world that don't have a church on every corner like we are very privileged to have. And um, as I was graduating college, I um, just felt that God was really putting it on my heart to see what it could look like to live on mission for him for a couple years and um, even work with colleges all over the world and was able to be plugged into a campus ministry called Campus Outreach. And um, I'm really excited because I'll be able to spend two years in Monterrey, Mexico and share the gospel and really live out my faith like I just did in college, but in a different setting um, in Mexico and share the gospel and see people respond to it and grow. And I'm really excited about what God is already doing there and excited to just join them and be a part of what he's already doing. Yeah. Venus, we're so excited to be part of your support team, you know, sending you on this mission, knowing you've got a connection here at Hillcrest, and um, that's really exciting. How can we be praying for you as you head out on this trip? Yeah, I think, um, honestly, just, I feel like for me, just a heart of humility to really learn from the people in Mexico and really see them the way that God sees them, realizing that the way that I follow Jesus might not be the same way that everyone else follows Jesus around the world. Um, so just a, a heart that is willing to learn and is teachable. Um, and just for God's provision, a lot is changing as I move to Mexico. And um, yeah, there's just a lot of moving pieces like visas and things like that. Um, so that would be a huge prayer. But what I keep praying is that the people of Mexico would come to know God as a personal God, a personal savior, and not just a box that they check every Sunday. Um, but I've had the privilege of coming to know Jesus personally and want that for everyone else. So I feel like the, the biggest prayer request I have is for the people of Mexico, for the people of Monterey, for the students I'll meet, that God would just be softening their hearts towards him and towards the gospel and that they would come to know Christ personally. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we want to pray for Venus this morning. Um, would you be willing to step down on the yeah. floor here? I just want to invite any of you that would like to come up and, and uh, just pray for her and place a hand on her shoulder. We want to lift her up this morning and, 
Um, traditionally, we've taken time to actually put hands on a person to pray for them, uh, to have that physical contact as a way of remembering that they are part of our community, part of our family, and we're sending them out um, as God has called Venus to do this work. And uh, obviously, she's such a great example for us because we're all on mission as well in our neighborhoods, where we work, where we go to school. So let's pray for Venus this morning and, and lift her up. Father God, we thank you for your calling on Venus's life, Lord, for the work you've done in her heart and in her spirit to um, adopt her into the family of God and create in her a new life, Lord. And we thank you for her desire to see people come to know you and to learn from them. And so we pray that you will bless her and encourage her as she finishes up preparing for this, um, this mission for the next few years. Lord, would you move in her in a powerful way? Would you provide all that's needed, Lord? We lift up all the documents, all the um, physical needs that she has, Lord. Would you provide for those? And as she uh, arrives on site in Mexico, Lord, would you bring good community around her, help her to make connections? Lord, allow her to see the movement of your kingdom in her new neighborhood. And uh, Lord, allow her um, the opportunity to see you work through her. Spirit of God, would you fill her in a powerful way? that she might be able to be involved in what you're doing in the lives of your people, in the lives of those who are seeking you, Lord. Bless her, encourage her. Thank you for her, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's thank Venus for heading out on mission with us. I want to continue to pray because there's other uh, concerns uh, before us this morning, and uh, we're going to go to Scripture together now, so I want to lift up that as well. So will you continue? Let's talk to God together. Father, we do thank you for a chance to open up Scripture this morning to allow you to speak to us. Spirit of God, would you use the words of Scripture to help us to see you in new ways, to open our hearts and lives to you in new ways, Father. Um, this morning, we, we think of uh, the people of Turkey and Syria, those who have gone through such great loss and pain over this last week. Lord, almost 30,000 have died in this earthquake and many more injured and hurt. Um, Father, it's hard for us to understand why these things happen, the pain and the suffering that is going on. And uh, we just lift up those in that community. We lift up those who have come to help and to rescue. Uh, Lord, we thank you that we can, can give resources, that we can give uh, to the relief efforts, and we pray that you would guide us in that. Father, uh, would you bring your grace and your mercy to those lives who have been affected by these, these earthquakes? We pray for your, um, your comfort and your, your presence just to hold people, Lord, who are hurting and suffering. Lord, we think of them this morning. We lift, we lift them up to you. We're also reminded this morning, Lord, of our middle school and high school kids who are on retreat together this weekend with Jason and, and Claw, other leaders who are with them. We, we thank you that they can have this time away. We pray that you would be speaking in powerful ways in their times together. We ask, Lord, that you would bring transformation to their lives, that, that they would understand what you have done and to, to call them into your family, the, the life you've created them for. Would you move in them in a powerful way through this time together this weekend? Lord, we thank you that you are good and faithful, that you are powerful and present in our lives. We lift these, time, these moments to you in Jesus' name. Amen. About uh, 20 years after Jesus left uh, our world, Paul was writing a letter to his friends in Corinth. It's the second letter we have in the Bible. We think he probably wrote more than just two letters to the church in Corinth, but we have two that are in the scriptures. And then towards the end of that letter, he writes these words. 
Paul writes, Jesus said to me, God said to me, my grace is all you need, for my power is greatest when you are weak. I am most happy then, Paul writes, uh, to be proud of my weaknesses in order to feel the protection of Christ's power over me. I am content, he says, with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I don't know how that last phrase hits you. For when I am weak, then I am strong. But when I read that, it doesn't add up to me. That's not a mathematic equation that makes sense to me. When I am strong, then I am strong, right? When, when things are together, when I have control, then I am strong. But Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. And that, for me, that creates tension in me. We've been talking about tension. I don't know if you've got your rubber band this morning, but I just want to snap it a few times. There's tension. When I am weak, then I am strong. That doesn't add up in my mindset. Should I just stop trying to be strong? Should I be more passive in my life? Should I just let life happen to me? You guys ever been on one of those uh, tube rides down a river? You know, should we just grab our inner tubes and jump into the river and let the current take us wherever it wants to? Um, what does that mean when Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong? I don't know about you. I don't, I don't want to be weak. I don't want to be seen as weak. I want to be strong. I, I, want, um, I don't want power in weakness. I want a way out of the weakness so I can have power. And yet Paul invites us into a different way of thinking. Anyone here enjoy being weak? Anyone like that? Yeah, I didn't think I'd see any hands. If we're honest, that we don't enjoy that. I remember back in high school, my junior year of high school, I was uh, on the football team. I played varsity football. I've been working out all year long with a weights class. I had every day of school a weights class. Uh, After football season, I continued to work out. Um, I was feeling good about myself. And uh, one afternoon at school, there was going to be an assembly after at the end of the school day. You guys remember assembly? Uh, You know, church is sort of like adult assembly in some ways. Um, But we were going to have this assembly at the end of the day, and so I had weights right before the the, um, assembly, and so I was coming out of a weights class, went to the locker room to change. Um, You know, I'd worked out all my muscle groups. I was feeling strong. I was feeling big. And uh, this assembly was going to feature the power team. I don't know if you've ever heard of the power team, but back in the 90s, they, they were a group that would come to different schools, and they would do an assembly, and they were retired professional football players and professional reps wrestlers, and they would come and do feats of strength in an assembly. They would, you know, um, lift up four students. One guy would lift up four students, two on either arm. They would bend crowbars around their neck. You know, they would do these feats of strength and talk about how students have power to make good choices and power to, to, to avoid the bad choices. And so this power team was coming to the school. I was in the locker room changing. I was coming out of the locker room to go to the assembly and walking down this hallway from the locker room to the gym. And it was a long, I, don't, I remember being just this long, thin, small hallway. It's probably, you know, two of me wide, about seven feet tall. I don't know why it was so small. Uh, and I begin to take a few steps down that hallway and down at the other end, 20 feet down, here comes the power team coming into the locker room to get ready for the assembly. And I look up and I see them. And I, you can only see one at a time because the hall is so narrow. And there are, you know, all of them are over six and a half feet tall. They're as wide as a Coke machine, you know, a pop machine. They're, the, the walls of the hallway seem to bow to make room for them, you know. Their, their thighs are as big as my waist. They're just gigantic people, superhuman, no necks. You know how it goes. And so I, I, can still, I can still remember this. I can close my eyes and see it happening. I look up and I see them, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to just start backing up down the hallway, <laughs> back into the locker room to make room, you know, for them to come into the 
come into the locker room. And uh, so I stand there, and, and the first guy comes out, and I, I just sort of, because this is what I do, I say, ah, uh, sorry, sorry about that. You know, I was in your way. Sorry. Sorry about that. And the first guy says to me, no problem, little man. No problem, little man. And I'm like, little man? I'm like, I'm a junior varsity football player. I've been working. I'm at the top of my game. What do you mean, little man? I don't like feeling weak. And then I watched them as they broke cinder blocks with their heads and tore through phone books with their bare hands. And I said, okay, yeah, I'm a little man. <laughs> Maybe even a little boy. You know, I was like, that is, that is real power. When you come face to face with real power, suddenly you start to feel weak. You start to feel like you don't measure up. And I remember thinking, you know, I don't, I don't like that feeling. We don't like feeling weak. We like being in control. We like being able to make things happen in our lives. We want to stay in places where we feel like we're in control because it's comfortable for us. Most of us have realized in our lives that we might not be, you know, in the driver's seat of this life because we've had enough things happen to us that have caught us off guard. We've been surprised by enough things that we realize we might not be in the driver's seat, but in the passenger seat, we're often reaching for the steering wheel, you know. We want to have one of those cars that you learn how to drive in with the pedals on the passenger side. You know, that's what we're looking for. We're hitting the brake pedal. We're grabbing at the steering wheel. We want to be in control. We want to have power. But we, we don't. We don't. We're very limited in the things that we can control. But that's not true for God. God is the sustainer and creator of all things. God has all the power. The Bible makes it clear that he is all-powerful. We use a word to describe that. We say omnipotent, omnipotent, omni and potent, put together. Omni is all, complete, and total. Potent is able, capable, powerful. So God is all able, completely capable, totally powerful. God is unlimited and infinite in his power. He never needs an energy drink. God's never looking for that morning cup of coffee to give him a little perk for the day. He never needs his batteries recharged. He is consistently filled with power. And the Bible's term of choice for this is almighty, almighty God. The Hebrew word is El Shaddai, the God who has all the power. We sang about that a moment ago. Almighty shows up about 345 times in the Bible. One of the places we see it is in Jeremiah 32. Here's what it says. Oh, great and powerful God, Jeremiah writes, whose name is the Lord Almighty, El Shaddai. Great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. Since God is omnipotent, there's a few things we can know about him. Since he is all powerful, we can know a few things. First, we know that there's no power that can stand in the way of his purposes and his plan. There is nothing that can push his ideas to the side, nothing that can shift his focus. There is no storm or catastrophe or problem that can disappoint God. Nothing, not fate or luck or karma or chance. There is nothing that can turn the purposes of God off of what he wants them to be. He has all the power. Second, we know that God's, whatever God starts, he will always finish. He will finish what he begins. I don't know about you, but I hold on to this truth every day because often we find ourselves waiting, waiting for him to do that, to finish up the things that he's begun. And in that waiting, we, we can hold on to that truth that he has all the power, that he will complete whatever he has started. There are projects at our house that I will never finish. Don't tell Angela I said that. <laughs> there are things I will never complete, but God will bring all things to completion. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he, that God who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God will finish what he starts. 
And third thing we know, which is probably the most amazing of the three, is that God shares his power with us. His power is available to us. The power that created the world around us, the power that made the relationships that surround us, the power that brought about all these events that astound us, that same power is available to us. God wants to pour that power into our lives, our daily, everyday kind of lives. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus about this power. His hope was that they would understand that the power that raised Jesus from death is the same power that is available to us, that is poured into our lives by God. His power is available, but we don't, we don't always access it. We don't always get plugged into the power of God. We don't take advantage of it. We don't acknowledge it every day. One of the reasons we miss out on the power of God is what Paul was trying to say in that passage, that second letter to his friends in Corinth. He was saying that weakness, weakness is what gets us powered, uh, plugged in to the power of God. Weakness is what helps us access the power of God. God is most powerful, most strong. His power shows up when we acknowledge that we need him to fill us and, and do something new in us. And Paul is calling his friends back to that. If we go back to that passage, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, Paul says, but, but Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Instead of bragging about all that Paul can do, he says, I'm going to brag about what I can't do. I'm going to boast about my weaknesses, because then the power of God can rest on me. I can access his power. Weakness here is another, a word that's often translated as illness or disease or to, to be in need, to, to be declining. In the Gospels, it's often used as infirmity and illness and disease. Our weakness can display God's power. So what does Paul mean when he says weakness here? When he says, I'm going to celebrate my weaknesses, I'm going to rejoice in my weaknesses. What is he saying? Well, the next verse helps, helps us out because he gives a little bit of a list about what he's talking about. He says, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. And then he says, here's his list, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So he lists out some of these weaknesses that we encounter. Insult, hardship, persecution, difficulty, insults, those things that people say about you. Those words that are used to describe you, that, that pull you down, that sarcasm that hits you. It, it, people who try to hurt you in front of others or online or behind your back. Those insults that come at us. He says hardship is another weakness that we can talk about. When life doesn't play out the way that you thought it would. Have you ever begun a new chapter of your life and you're about halfway through the chapter and you start to look around and say, wait a second, this is not the story I signed up for. So who's changing the narrative? Where did this chapter come from? This is not the plan that I had. You ever been in those situations? I had a friend this last week uh, who was putting pictures on Instagram and Facebook that were somewhat telling, and so I reached out to him and messaged him and said, hey, I, he's a friend from Minnesota I haven't talked to in a few years. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? And, and he wrote back, he said, you know what? Um, about a year ago, my wife left. She had an affair and left, and she's divorced me. And he goes, I'm not a pastor anymore. I'm not sure what I'm doing. I don't know where God is. Towards the end of his message, as we talked back and forth, he said, I can't believe this is my life. That's one of the lines. He said, I can't believe this is my life. That's, that's sometimes our story. I've said that myself. I can't believe this is the story of my life. What, what is God doing? That's an image of hardship. Some of you might be saying, you know, I, I, I relate to that. I've been in that place where I've asked, what, this is not my story. What's going on? Some of you are in that place today. You're asking that same question. What is this chapter about? 
Some of you might be in that place in the future. That's hardship. Paul says persecution. That's another thing that's a weakness that comes at us. Insults that, that actually take on a physical form. When people come against us, treat us differently or unfairly because of what we believe or what we do, and they persecute us. And then finally, he says difficulty. Carries with it, uh, that word difficulty carries with it the idea of restricted, being restricted, having uh, narrow choices, places of distress and anguish. I think about that hallway with the power team coming, and I, I had narrow, I had few choices in that moment. And that's, that's uh, difficulty. And sometimes we find ourselves in those places as well. These things that come from outside of us, people speaking words at us, just life coming at us in ways we're not expecting. This is, the, this is the weakness that Paul is writing about. When he writes about this, he's not writing about sinful behaviors. That's one of the things that Paul is not saying. He's not saying that, um, that we rejoice in our sin, that we rejoice in our weaknesses when it comes to uh, you know, things we might do like lust and pride and fear and hate. The power of God is not perfected in our rebellion and in our sinful choices. It's perfected in the midst of things that I cannot control. The hardships and difficulties of life that, that come at us in unpredictable ways. When, when these things come at us, Paul says, that's what I'm going to rejoice in because in those moments, that's when God can show up and do things, unexpected things. When he can bring strength from surprising places. We can't manifest that kind of spiritual power in our lives. We can't bring it about apart from God's grace. We can't really impact our neighborhood or our families in, in, in eternal ways apart from the power of God. I mean, we can, we can earn a paycheck. We can create uh, wealth. We can be kind to others. We can even build helping organizations. But real eternal impact, real soul change, kingdom of God kind of stuff, we, we don't have power there to do things apart from God, what God is doing. And I don't say that as a, a downer. I say that because uh, it's good to talk about reality with each other and to be truthful with one another. It doesn't mean that our lives don't matter because God chooses to use us to display his power in the world today. God shows up and takes our weakness and begins to show off his amazing ability through us. When I think that I'm strong, I'm actually going to be weak. But when I understand that I'm weak, then God says, I can display my strength through you. I can do things through you. We need, to, we need to acknowledge this weakness, this need that we have. We need to look to God for hope and direction and life, and he will pour that into us. But there is tension in it for us. You might be feeling that tension right now. It's there. No motivational speaker will tell you to be weak. <laughs> They're not going to tell you to lean into your weaknesses. Some people will t tell you to name what you want and to claim it, that it's up to you to make it happen but it has to start in this place of dependence. It has to start in a place of understanding that God is the one who has the power and we are dependent on him. And Paul says when we can rejoice in this weakness that God can bring something that is surprising. And he says Jesus even promised that. We can see Jesus saying that in the Gospels. John 14, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. They will do even greater things than these. Can you imagine Jesus who had healed hundreds, who had spoken with power, and he looked at those disciples of his, and he says, you know what, I'm gonna, you're going to do greater things than what you've seen being done, because the power of God is going to reside in you. When is that power going to come? Well, at the Acts 1, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's when that power comes, when the Holy Spirit comes on us, when we become followers of Jesus, when we receive forgiveness from Christ. We, we lay our lives down. He begins to transform us, and he fills us with the Spirit of God.
That's the kind of power that raised Jesus back to life after death. It's the kind of power that is available to us. I want you to hear a story about this power that God wants to reveal to you, a surprising kind of power. So I want to invite Dale to come up. And and Dale, um, many of you know Dale. He's been part of Hillcrest for many years. And about eight years ago, Dale was having back problems, and he had a surgery that corrected that, and things felt better. And then about a year ago, there was uh, a reoccurrence of this problem. So, of course, Dale thought, I need, I need another surgery. So he set up another surgery. You told me the story. So uh, the surgery was postponed one time, a second time, a third time. And after the third time, Dale starts to think, maybe God wants me to see something here. So tell us what happened after that third postponement of the surgery. Well, I was in church one Sunday morning, and uh, my wife nudged me and said, maybe you should get Kathy Tilden to pray for your back <laughs> up front. So I said, no, nah, I don't need that. I'll wait on the surgeon. <clears throat> but she finally convinced me to go up in front. And, Our wives have a way of doing that, don't they? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, oftentimes. Yeah. <laughs> so she, uh, Kathy laid hands on my back and prayed, and I said, thank you very much. And then I went back to our Sunday school class, and two or three of the people back there also laid hands on my lower back and prayed. And I was in a great deal of pain. I had numbness in my leg. I had difficulties walking and so forth. <clears throat> but I knew the surgery was the answer. So I went ahead and agreed to the prayer. And uh, maybe a week later, I, I, the pain had diminished. And probably in a couple of weeks, it was gone. And um, I went to my doctor uh, just for a checkup. And he said, if you don't have any pain, he said, you don't need a surgery. From that point on, I did not have any more pain. Complete healing. So the doctors had found something, and then they did some more recently and more tests and stuff, and it was it was no longer there. I'd had CT scans, MRI scans, and I had definite stenosis in my spinal cord, and I had to have the I was diagnosed with having to have those spinal vertebrae operated on. And the neurosurgeon said, no, there's no more stenosis, there's no more pain, there's no more yeah. uh, stiffness. He said, you don't need surgery. Yeah, amazing. So think about uh, five years from now, when you look back at this season of your life, when God brought this healing, what, what are you going to remember? What's, what are you going to hold on to from this time? Well, God could have healed me, uh, but he wanted me to take a step of faith, I think. And he wanted me to ask for prayer. And Kathy and the others were bold enough to pray for me. And that healing that took place as a result of that small step of faith. Yeah, yeah we need to ask. Thanks, Dale, for sharing your story. I want you to hear that story. There's others in this room that would share their stories of when God's power showed up in ways that surprised them. Now, there's not a guarantee that Dale's story is going to be your story. But God is good and faithful, and as we wait on him, as we trust him, as we invite him to do things in us, to display his power through us, he is wanting to do that. It begins by acknowledging that when we are weak, he can bring his strength. When we turn to him, that he can can do something in us that we can't do on our own. When we surrender to God, he can make a way, a transformation in our lives. Now, what happens when you don't acknowledge that weakness? What happens when, when you don't uh, sit before God and surrender to him? What are the other options? Because they're, yeah, I don't know about you. I know people that seem to be doing okay in life. You know, they've got struggles, but they seem to be doing all right. 
and they haven't acknowledged God's power over their life. They haven't acknowledged their weaknesses. So, so what is that about? What are the options besides acknowledging our weakness? Well, there's a few things we can do instead of acknowledging that weakness. One, we can fake it. That's one option you have. You can try to maintain an exterior life that shows how strong you are. I don't know about you. I do this. We spend time uh, and energy on our public image, trying to find the right thing to wear, the right things to say, the right kind of things to do. So it looks like we are strong, even though we might know we are not. How much of our life is spent doing public, public relations work? You know, we can, we can fake it. Some of us are really good at doing that. We should have a sign on the door as you come into church that says, no perfect people allowed. Uh, because none of us are perfect. All of us have struggles. All of us have challenges in our lives. We don't like to put that out front, though, do we? It's hard for us to acknowledge that. It's hard for us to ask for prayer. It's hard for us to share our, our challenges with others around us. But we have to start by surrendering to God, acknowledging that, that there is weakness in our lives, that there are places where we are weak. Just turn to the person right next to you there. Look them deeply in the eyes and say, you are weak. Go ahead. <laughs> you are weak. I, uh, good luck getting a ride home, all right? That's what I say about them. We don't like to acknowledge that. We can fake it. That's one of the options we have. If we don't want to acknowledge, we can fake it. Another option for us is we can force it. We can make things happen. We can, we can force things in life. We can grit our teeth and push and push and push. I can push my plans and my ideas. I can make my family and friends do things I want them to do. I can, I can make things happen for my life. And as I do that, I'll look behind me and see behind me a, a parade of injured, suffering, hurt people because I made my way through. There's a theologian that writes about this, a scholar. Some of you might know him. His name is Dr. Seuss, and he's written several <laughs> books. You maybe have seen one of his books. He wrote the book, Yertle the Turtle, and I don't know if you're familiar with this story, but the, the book describes a, a, a pond of turtles living their normal turtle life, and they have a king named Yertle. And one day he decides he wants more than what he has. And so this is from the book. I'm ruler, said Yertle, of all that I see, but I don't see enough. That's the trouble with me. With this stone from my throne, I look down on my pond, but I cannot look down on places beyond. This throne that I sit on is too, too low down. It ought to be higher, he said with a frown. If I could sit high, how much greater I'd be. What a king. I'd be ruler of all that I see. And so he forces all of the turtles to form a tower, to stack one on top of the other. And uh, the, the pictures he draws, you can see them suffering, you know, like hurting as they're being stacked together. And then here's Yertle on his throne at the very top, the very height of his, his power. He says, there's nothing, no nothing that's higher than me. And then something happens, one of those little turtles towards the bottom, uh, burps or coughs or something, and the whole tower falls. And all of them are laying in the mud and the muck, broken and hurting, and Yertle's there covered in mud, all that he thought he had turns out to be nothing. The power he could force on these others didn't last very long. When we force this life, when we force people to do what we want them to do when, so that we can feel powerful, that's just not going to last. And it's going to hurt those around us. It's going to end up hurting us as well. All of our efforts are going to amount to nothing. So we might try to fake it. We might try to force it. The last thing that will happen if we don't acknowledge that we have a need is that we're going to forget we will forget God. We will forget his goodness. We will forget the power he offers to us, the gifts that he wants to pour into our lives. 
Moses wrote to the nation of Israel. He led them out of slavery for 40 years, led them through the wilderness right up to the promised land. And as they began that journey, he said these words to them in Deuteronomy 8. He said, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You may say to yourself, my power And the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability. Moses says, if you don't acknowledge that God gives you the ability, that you are weak and he is strong, you might be able to create all these things. You might be able to gain all this wealth, but you will find that it is nothing. That it doesn't bring the life that you are looking for. It doesn't bring the transformation that God wants to bring. The life that he created you for. When we pursue control instead of new life, we're going to forget God's supernatural ability to do surprising things through us. And we will settle for a limited experience in this world and in this life. We will miss transformation. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you not to fake it, but to be honest. Not to try to have it look like you have it all together, but acknowledge the need that you have. I want to call you to stop forcing it, to surrender to God's power that's available to you. I don't want you to forget what God can do more than you could ever imagine. He can do through you if you would just open your life to him. And how does that weakness become power? As you surrender, as you surrender your life to him, as you open your hands to him, open your heart to him, and invite him to guide you each day, every day, to fill you with his spirit. One pastor writes about it this way, surrender is not passivity or abdication. It's saying yes to God and life each day. Surrender means I accept reality, that God has the power, and we are dependent on him. So as we finish up this morning, I want you to invite God to examine your heart. I want you to invite the Spirit of God to speak to you right now and help you to see areas of your life where you're trying to maintain control, where you're trying to hold on to the steering wheel, areas where he would have you surrender and open your hands to him. I want you to ask God to fill you with his power, especially in the situations that you're thinking about right now, the hardship that you're facing, the the relationship that's stressing you out, the job that's falling apart, the kids that aren't listening, the parents that are declining, all these things that are all around your life, to put those before the Lord and say, I need your power, I need your strength. I can't do it on my own. I want to give you time to do that. So as we move to this time of prayer and worship, I want to invite you to surrender and acknowledge God's work in your life. I want to invite the worship team up, and I actually want to invite our prayer volunteers up at this time. Often we have, at the end of our service, an opportunity to come up for prayer, but I want our volunteers available while we're singing these last two songs. And I want to encourage you, as we're singing, if you're sensing God moving in you and inviting you to come up to have someone pray with you, to invite them to speak words of truth over you to encourage you. I've come up for prayer, asked for prayer for my kids, to ask God, to, I've asked people to pray with me for wisdom. Um, it's something that we can do as a church community. So I want to invite you to stand right now with me, with us. We're going to sing a couple songs as we close. And, and I, do, I want to invite you to respond to God, to come up and ask for prayer, to, to kneel where you're at right now and invite God to do something new in your life, to, to lift your hands and worship to him. 
and invite God to fill you with his power uh, because we need it every day. Because when we are weak, then he is strong. What uh, grace that God decided to reveal his greatness through us, that he shines through us. I want to encourage you to allow him to shine through you this week. Allow his love and his grace to flow through you to your neighbor, to your family, to your friends, co-workers. Allow the kingdom of God to expand in you this week. Uh, if you're interested in talking to Venus more about what she's up to, what she's doing, she'll be at a table out in the lobby. I want to encourage you to stop by and say hi. As you leave, take those connection cards and the offering and he gets you brought to the church. Just put those in the joy boxes in the back, back there. And uh, we hope you have a great day. We know there's fun things later today, but uh, God is doing great things among you. So go have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Amen.